All right, guys, welcome in to today's episode of Southeast Youth Podcast. It is Wednesday, October 25th, 2017, and today we have a special guest on the podcast as we welcome in Corey Keyes. He is a former grad assistant at Ole Miss, um, and he was also at Kennesaw State, five years at the Division One level as a staffer there. Uh, it was great to catch up with him. We not only talked about Ole Miss and kind of all the things, uh, all the aspects of that roster and Andy Kennedy himself going into this upcoming season, uh, but we also touched on the SEC, just talking about different teams and really, you know, what we've kind of continued to talk about all offseason, and that's the the big jump that could be ahead for the SEC this year and being one of the better conferences in the entire country. Uh, so spent a lot of time catching up with Corey and, you know, just talking about just this, this Ole Miss backcourt, which you guys know, as I've talked about for a while now, this is one of the deeper backcourts, not only in the SEC, but in the entire country, assuming you know everything comes together, everyone stays healthy. When you look at this Ole Miss backcourt, there is a ton to like, and you know there's just a ton of things that, that you love about this backcourt and what the possibilities are there. Um, and we talked about all those different guys: Terrence Davis, Brian Tyree, DeAndre Burnett, Markel Crawford, Devontae Shuler. Uh, just all those weapons that Andy Kennedy is going to have at his disposal there at guard. And then also touched on some things just about that front court, which, again, to me, is the biggest question mark with this team in replacing Sebastian Saiz. But, but again, with that, you know, like Corey brings up, you know, it's not that what Ole Miss has in the front court doesn't have to be, you know, a, a 15 and 10 type of guy. They just need guys that can be consistent. And that's kind of what we talked about this summer is that that's the key to Ole Miss being an NCAA tournament team this year because those guards are going to be so good and give this team such a boost, you know, and talking about this will be a dynamic scoring team. Uh, Their defense probably going to have to be a little bit better, but I think there are some tweaks that can be made there that they've already worked on. Andy Kennedy talked about that in the podcast I did with him over the summer. Uh, so uh, all things considered, Ole Miss is a very, very good basketball team, and they are going to have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, also talked with Corey uh, about the SEC, just that that top four that seems to be projected by a lot of people of Kentucky, Florida, Texas A&M, and Alabama, what his thoughts are on that group, and then also some intriguing teams as well beyond that, uh, and talking about teams like Georgia, uh, you know, South Carolina, and a bunch of other teams uh, in there, Missouri, and just kind of getting his thoughts on what he thinks on the league there as a whole. So it was great to catch up with him. A lot of great knowledge in here. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the discussion with Corey Keys. All right, guys, welcome back in to the Southeast Hoops podcast. As I mentioned, my guest today is Corey Keys. He is a former grad assistant at Ole Miss. Uh, spent five years at Division One level as a staffer and excited to have him on. You've probably heard him on various podcasts uh, talking about the SEC, Ole Miss, and a bunch of stuff like that. Corey, appreciate you joining me, man. Yeah, man, glad to be here. Uh, all right, let's go ahead. Before we get started on all the the Ole Miss-related, SEC-related stuff, I want to know just about your experience as a grad assistant itself, just being a staffer like we talked about at the Division One level. I know a lot of people that listen to this, you know, kind of there are some guys I know that are in the college level wanting to get into this kind of stuff. Just as you look back on that experience, just both at Ole Miss and in other places as well, what are some of the biggest takeaways you just had from from doing that kind of that job there? Um, there's no right way 
to get into this or do it. You know what I mean? Into this profession, I guess yeah. you, you call it. But they, it, it's a it's a wild kind of thing. Um, and the way guys get into it differs from everybody everybody I've ever I've ever met. Um, when I was a senior in high school, you know, my the entire time or excuse like through through college my entire goal was to go into sports media of some sort, whether that's TV, radio, whatever. Um, my senior year at Ole Miss, I graduated in May of 2011. And my senior year there, I got to know an assistant on the staff there named Tori Ward, uh, who's no longer with us. He, um, he, I got to know him, and he basically told me, he was like, hey, you should try to get on as a GA somewhere. You'd be good at this. Um, and my dad was a high school coach. My entire upbringing was a head coach in the Metro Atlanta area for 10 years. So and he had coached for 25, 30 years, but he was a head coach for 10. So that's what I grew up around the whole time. Um, but once I got to college, I was kind of, you know, moving beyond it. You know, I was going to stay connected in a different way through covering it. Well, until I met Tori and he told me that. And that whole spring semester of senior year, I kind of threw an audible in what I was going to do. And it took until about the end of summer of 2011 to find a place that would let me come on, essentially. Um, and that was Kennesaw State at the time. And I'm from the metro Atlanta area, so that was actually the closest Division One program yeah. to where I'm from. So it, it, it was kind of fortuitous in that regard. But basically, I told them, hey, I'll work for free. I want to this is what I want to do. You know, put me to work sort of thing. And I was there. They didn't pay me for the first year. I was basically a, a, a glorified graduate manager. You know, you I did a lot of film stuff, a lot of scout prep, a lot of, you know, helping out with manager duties at the time because we didn't have managers. We had we had one manager at that level. So we were having to do everything. Um, and that second year, um, originally I was involved with some other stuff. I ended up going back to Kennesaw. They told me I could be like the volunteer video coordinator, but they still couldn't pay me. So for two years, I wasn't paid to do this. And about halfway through that year, the head coach, my boss at the time, told me, hey, I'm going to give you all the ops um, roles, uh, which means travel, everything you could possibly imagine. Um, the ops job, anybody that's ever done it isn't a fun job. Um, it's very hectic, and it's you wear a thousand different hats. Uh, so they gave me that about halfway through my second year. And the end of my second year, they said, we're going to get you paid. We're going to get your your position created. Because at the time at Kennesaw, all we had as paid staff members was a head coach and three assistants. There was no director of basketball operations. There were no GAs. There was no video coordinator, none of that. So that summer, about the end of the summer before that third season I was at Kennesaw, they paid, They said they finally got started getting me paid. It was a little bit. I didn't even, I didn't get benefits, but I did get paid. Um, and I was officially the director of basketball operations. And again, we didn't have a video coordinator, so I was doing ops uh, roles and I was doing video roles. And so at the end of that third year, they made a coaching change at Kennesaw. Um, and I went and coached at a high school in the metro Atlanta area. And towards the end of that year at the high school, um, I, got an, I got a call from an assistant coach at Ole Miss. Um, it was Bill Armstrong was his name. He called me asking if I wanted to come to Ole Miss as a GA, and I said absolutely. Um, you know, they they paid for my masters and they paid me monthly um, to kind of get by living wise, and it was it was a good deal uh, for what you're doing as a GA. And essentially, as a GA at Ole Miss, you do a little bit of a lot of things. Yeah, um, that could be 
on the floor during, you know, individual workouts, during practice, rebounding, passing, hitting guys with pads, you know, doing whatever during practice. That's during games, you're statting stuff, keeping charts, you know, keeping coach abreast of certain stats and certain tendencies. That's, and that's just simply the stuff I did. And then off the floor, I did a lot of st- a lot of our Photoshop stuff. I taught myself Photoshop, and my skills are still very, very amateur at that. But um, <laughs> stuff that we used in recruiting, uh, that we would send recruits or that we would show them when they came on visits, um, a lot of stuff that we would um, use promotionally for the program. Um, you know, I did a lot of statistical stuff, a lot of analytics stuff, helped a little bit with scheduling, um, you know, basically anything they ask you to do. Um, and that's one thing. If there is anybody who's listening to this who's interested in going into college coaching, um, no, and this is something I learned the hard way the first year I was doing it, is that no task is beneath you. Um, because you're probably going to be asked to do laundry. You're probably going to be asked to give a guy a water bottle here or there or grab a towel or go grab a pair of shorts or a pair of socks because the guy forgot that or something. Um, no task is beneath you. Be willing to put in those hours. Um, and eventually you get to do certain things that are what you wanted to do. Now, the thing is, is you learn, you do, you can do so many things that you learn so much that you become, you know, indispensable, that they need you. So that's kind of my biggest advice to people when they really ask me about going into it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, like I said, it's someone who's, who's a former high school coach that tried to get into the college level and kind of knowing how some of that stuff works. You know, I think it's a good transition into, into talking about Andy Kennedy because, you know, I know you've talked about it all off season. You've talked about it, you know, for a while now and talking about just how hard work that's been put in to kind of put that Ole Miss program where it is now and going into this season, you know, you obviously had a chance to work for Andy Kennedy, be around him. Do you still think, and I already know your answer to this, but I want other people to hear it as well, just how undervalued it seems like he is just on the national level, uh, maybe, you know, just even at the SEC level and talking about just all the work that's gone into building that program up. Like I said, you've been a part of that and getting it to kind of being stable where it is now and where it's going going forward here. Yeah, so I think it's a, and honestly, I try, like, I do a fair amount of that on Twitter, and I honestly try not to do too much, because I don't want to be too overkill with it, Yeah. because the majority of my followers are Ole Miss fans, so they know where I stand on it, but there's a lot of stuff where if it, if I think it's worthwhile, you know, I'll put it out there one way or the other, and, you know, I think what people undervalue in the sense that the difficulty of what the Ole Miss job is and can be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Because I think people, you know, obviously people want to, everybody wants to have a successful team that they pull for. Everybody wants to make it to championships and, you know, the the pinnacle of your particular sport. But there's certain programs that aren't equipped to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. And and especially in in a power conference. Now, let's understand this about Ole Miss. You know, this is a program that has you know, three, four, something like eight NCAA tournament appearances all time in the program's over 100-year history. Um, and it's a program that for a long time, athletic administrations there, various ones, um, simply just neglected the sport. You know, it, it was just another sport um, at that school. Whereas you've seen more of a commitment earlier on, I would argue that the athletic administration at Ole Miss did not begin committing to basketball until the last five or six years, um, quite honestly. You know, AK was hired at Ole Miss in 2006, and when they hired him, the playing 
arena at the time, Ted Smith Coliseum, was kind of borderline beyond disrepair. And that was in 2006 now. So they, at the time, there were no plans to build a new basketball facility. There was no practice facility at the time. All they had was Ted Smith Coliseum. And they so to kind of accommodate for that, they did some random kind of renovations on small things. Like they put a new video board in, kind of lipstick on a pig sort of things. Um, they did that. They built a new like media room, which the media room at Ted Smith Coliseum was the nicest media room there was, <laughs> yeah. um, which is incredible. But so they did things like that to kind of piecemeal it away. And after that first year, he took a team that was picked to finish last in the SEC West because the previous three or four years before he got there, it was actually four years. That program had four consecutive losing seasons under Rod Barnes. Um, the program had cratered after a, after a nice run from Rob Evans to Rod Barnes, where they went to a handful of NCAA tournaments, the program cratered. And so he got there and took over a team that had never won before. And they tied for the, the crown in the SEC West, went to the NIT. Following that year, he and the women's coach, Renee Ladner, um, basically launched a campaign, a donor campaign, to build a basketball practice facility. Ole Miss was one of the few schools in the SEC that didn't have one at that point <laughs> in the game. So they finally did. They got enough money, and it finally opened. I think it opened somewhere around 2010, right in that ballpark, give or take a year, um, is when it finally opened. And in that whole time frame, he was constantly winning 20-plus games, going to the NIT, kind of raising the profile little by little of a program that had lost for so long. Um, well, of course, by the time you hit year five, Fans want to know why you haven't gotten back to the NCAA tournament. Even if that's an unrealistic goal, that was what they wanted at the time. Well, he had been through, I think it was six years, and he had not made the NCAA tournament, but he had won 20-plus games in all but one year. And so it was year seven, which was the 2013 year when Marshall Henderson showed up on campus, and they won the SEC tournament, won a game in the NCAA tournament, and kind of rolled it from there, you know, and he went back two years later, won another game against BYU, and he's kind of kept that trend going. Um, he's consistently wanted a program that doesn't consistently win. You know, it's kind of the Mike Leach thing um, in football, who wins at relative levels to what Washington State and Texas Tech could win at, which are programs that aren't difficult to win at. Um, and it, it, it's similar to that in a certain regard, but I think he's undervalued because in this in this sport, right or wrong, the NCAA tournament is what people kind of grade you on. Well, like I said at the beginning of this rant, I don't think the Ole Miss program can be judged on NCAA. The success of a coach at Ole Miss cannot be judged on NCAA tournament appearances. Um, to me, I think going to the NIT winning seasons is your baseline success for that program. Um, he's been able to do that. NCAA tournaments, to me, are just gravy. See, and I think that's the problem, and I've said this too this offseason, talking about how it, there are people out there that want to compare – Ole Miss basketball to Kentucky, Florida basketball in terms of resources and all that kind of stuff. And I, it's just, it's such an unfair comparison to me. And I think to a lot of people, just you can't compare every job the same because every job's different. And we've always right. kind of talked about that. Uh, and like you said, look at the 20 win seasons. And I think another thing that's kind of underrated too is how hard it is to keep momentum like that. I mean, we talk about this Ole Miss program. You know, he hasn't finished lower than six since the split. Uh, you, you know, and that's something where obviously, you know, they're pick lower this offseason and we always talk about it. It's funny because I was talking to DeAndre Burnett and Terrence Davis, which we'll talk more about in a minute uh, at media day. And, you know, I was like, you know, what were your thoughts when you saw that? And he's, they both just laughed because they were like, you know, 
everybody does this every year. The media picks him lower, and it's something that we keep seeing. But the momentum he's been able to sustain there, like you said, given kind of how he's built the program, I think it's just so impressive, and it's just something that get, keeps getting overlooked, like you said, because of the NCAA tournament appearances. Right, and because there, there's not been a low point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Most programs to where if they have a downturn, there's like this cyclical thing. He's been able to keep the program consistently above water and in the conversation every year. Even if they go to the NIT, his teams are always in that bubble conversation. They've always had a chance, no matter how little, no matter how great it is. They've always had a chance, which to me at Ole Miss is what says it all. Because for so many years, for so long, that program never had a chance. And now they've, they did open a new arena. They've got a practice facility, which is a good start. But so much of what comes next is funding. Look at where Andy Kennedy's salary is ranked in the SEC. It's at the bottom. Look at where his assistant um, salary pool is. It's at the bottom. Um, things like that. And again, and I, I talked about this with Sam Vecini when I was on with him. There are certain programs in the SEC where football you know, every every school in the SEC stands one is football first. I, you might even argue too that Missouri basketball comes first in the mount in the mind of the fan base. Yeah, obviously football makes the most money. Nobody's going to argue that. But the other twelve are football dominant. That's that's everybody understands. But there are certain ones where football just over overshadows everything as like an all encompassing like orb. You know what I mean? Yeah. And every and there's no light, and everything else just kind of dies in its presence. Ole Miss is similar to that. I think the worst in the SEC in that regard is Georgia. I, I think a lot of people kind of clown on Alabama, saying, "Oh, it's football, football, football." I think Alabama fans care more about basketball than they even give themselves than than they're given credit for. I think Georgia's the one that neglects every sport, non-football, um, more than any other in the SEC. Now, Ole Miss, the last half decade has really, for the first time, tried to get on equal playing field in certain regards to the rest of their SEC counterparts. Now, they can do those things, but there's still going to be elements where they never will. Again, because I don't think the fan base is ever going to be one that's going to put basketball at the front of its kind of at the front of its sights. It's also almost is the only program in the country that Every kid that visits on a recruiting visit or is being recruited where race is brought up in conversation um, because of what happened years ago on the Ole Miss campus. That was brought up every time we recruited a kid. Um, that's a challenge that Ole Miss is never going to escape. So there are built-in challenges, disabilities, I don't know what you want to call them, that that program is always going to have. Yeah, and that's what I said. That's why I think it's important for people to kind of realize that. And, you know, it's something where we'll talk about it forever and ever, and people are still probably going to hold the same belief. But it's just something where you can't compare all these jobs the same because it's just not the case. That There are differences everywhere. And like you said, as someone who's been there at Ole Miss, understands how the process works, I think it's something that, that's kind of, you know, helping to build an awareness that, you know, you just can't judge all these coaches the exact same because the resources are different in all these different places. Uh, and so there's just a lot of aspects that go into it. But, all right, Corey, just to talk about this Ole Miss team before we kind of talk more about the SEC, uh, you know, I'm very intrigued by this team, and I, I've been one of the people this offseason that's talked about this backcourt, and that's kind of where it starts uh, in talking about all these pieces that they're going to have back there at guard. And, you know, to me, Terrence Davis, I mean, I've been on talking about this kid for months now. It feels like he's one of the most underrated players in the entire country 
when you think about what he did last season and coming along as the scorer there late in the year, I mean, he just exploded into being a guy, you know, that could put up 20-plus points on any given night. And just seeing that level of improvement from his game, you know, from year to year. And I talked to him, like I said, at Media Day, and he was talking about, you know, I said, what what was that difference? What was the key for you in kind of making that big jump? And like he said, you know, man, he said, I just worked. He said, you know, I was in the gym at all hours of the night. You know, we'd get done with the game. I'd be back in the gym. He said, I just wanted to be better. I wanted to be one of those guys that was on the floor at all times. And I just think he is an outstanding player that that's probably set for a big year. Uh, what are your thoughts just on his overall game? Like I said, you were there. You kind of saw that growth. But I just think this kid could have a stellar season. Yeah, so his first year, you know, he was kind of, you know, at the mercy of some guys in front of him um, because he got there as a freshman right after Ole Miss had made that second NCAA tournament, had beaten BYU in that play-in game in Dayton, had that furious comeback. Um and he gets there, and he's already kind of behind Stefan Moody, who was a first-team All-SEC guy for two years. He was behind Martavius Newby, who was like a three-year starter for Ole Miss on the wing. Um, Rashid Brooks, who was a JUCO guard at the time. He the minutes weren't there, and we, and you know at the time we played Anthony Perez quite a bit at the three at the time too. So there was kind of a logjam for minutes when he first got there. Now, this is the part that AK always tells that you know. TD played football in high school, his whole kind of upbringing, especially through high school. He also swam. That's another thing people don't even really know about. He was a multi-sport kid. By the time he got to Ole Miss, that last offseason before his sophomore year was the first full offseason he had ever had of one sport. That was it. Wow. So you saw that development. And he could have gotten discouraged. I think part of the time he was his freshman year when he wasn't getting minutes, he wasn't even getting on the floor, getting many opportunities, and he could have shut down. Um, There were probably times he was extremely discouraged about the whole situation. But I remember it like it was yesterday. All summer, when we were allowed to have team stuff, because you're in the summer, you're allowed to have like a couple hours of full team on the floor instruction. He started doing things where you're like, damn, TD, like if you if he keeps doing that, he's going to be good. But it's summer, so let's see how it plays out. You know, nobody really got their hopes up. Then you get to the fall, and he's still doing it, and he's doing it consistently. And you're like, Jesus, this kid's going to play his way into the starting lineup, um, you know, as he keeps continuing to do this consistently. Well, then the games start, and he starts doing it in earnest, and that's when we all kind of looked at each other and be like, we've got something here. You know what I mean? And he, he yeah. kept that he kept that sort of – and it was a constant, it was almost a killer mentality to a degree. He's the type of kid, for better or worse, that doesn't have a conscience on the floor. Um, he'll take a bad shot and miss it, and AK will get into him telling him, you know, slow down. Um, you know, we didn't need that shot at the time. And he'll take the very next one and drill it, and you just kind of shrug your shoulders and you say, all right, that's him. Uh, he's that type of kid. And when he gets going, because his body is so developed, like it, just as an upper body strength and his athleticism, he's impossible to stop getting to the rim. He's as good a player I've seen at finishing through contact at the rim. And that's really where he made his, made his bread this past year. And then he, when he hit as many threes as he did, which was probably better than we even kind of imagined he would, because it was always how much he could shoot the ball from the perimeter. And he hit right at 53s at a 33% clip last year, which was enough to where you could let him keep shooting them, where you thought, damn, he keeps doing this. You know, if he's able to stay out of foul trouble, play smarter on the defensive end, he's going to be really good. 
which as he progresses into his junior year, those are the things if he keeps developing, he's got a shot. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, like I said, I just watching that development last year was pretty tremendous just to kind of see. And you mentioned the athleticism. I mean, just having that upper body strength and that kind of stuff. And what goes into that in such a physical league like the SEC and being able to do that on a consistent basis, you know, like he was able to do. And I think he's certainly one of those pieces in the backcourt that gives Ole Miss, you know, a big opportunity to, to make a lot of strides this year. And another guy, Andy Kennedy's talked about this offseason. You know, it seems like, you know, talk to him on the SEC uh, coaches teleconference this summer and then talk to him again on a podcast a few months ago. The one guy he brought up both times and saying, this is the guy that we think has sort of made the biggest strides this offseason and we've been the most impressed with was Brian Tyree. And, you know, he's someone that really came on, you know, in that last stretch of games last year in the SEC as well. I mean, he had the 24-point game at Mississippi State, that overtime win, uh, and he kept scoring in double digits pretty much the rest of the way until he he struggled a bit against Syracuse and Georgia Tech. But how do you kind of see his development going into this year too? Because we know how crowded that backcourt is, but it seems like AK is really high on him. Well, if anybody, I, I mean, I've told multiple people this. If anybody on the team stood to make a, the biggest jump, it's, it was Brian um, in my mind. Because, again, and I mentioned this to some other folks as well, that, you know, he tore his ACL in April of his senior year of high school in a like an all-star game slam dunk contest that he was in. So he got to us on crutches. You know, like he, he did no off-season stuff. He was constant rehab. He did not get cleared for full basketball activities until the first week of the season last year. So in November. So he did no preseason workouts, no preseason conditioning, none of it. So as he slowly got acclimated, he was kind of handed the keys. First, second week of December after we played Middle Tennessee and played so poorly against Middle Tennessee, he kind of got handed the keys as the point guard and said, here we go. You take it, you take over, and we're going to ride with you, your ups and downs as a freshman, and just go with it. Um, and you saw by the end of the year what he was really capable of. You know, it's like you mentioned the Mississippi State game there. He did some things where you, you kind of get taken aback, like, good Lord. And the Baylor game at home, the Arkansas game in the SEC tournament, those are a few games I can think of. South Carolina at home late in the year where he made plays where you thought this kid has a chance. This kid has a chance to be really good. Um, he's a scorer. That's what he is. You know, he just so happens to be about 6'2". Um, he can handle the ball against pressure and do those sort of things, but he is a score first type of combo guard that can play the point. Now that's similar to what AK's always had. He had Chris Warren for four years who basically played point because of his height. Um, he was that good. And he was, if you ask AK, the best player he's had at Ole Miss is Chris Warren. He he's had guys like that. He had Stefan Moody who was five ten with shoes on and led the SEC in scoring. So if anybody knows how to acclimate and get, and get guards the ball to get them in the right places to get shots, it's Andy Kennedy. He's done it for 11 years now, and he'll do it again for year 12. And that's why, and he said this, and he was careful to parse his words at SEC Media Day when he said it. You know, I've he felt like he has his deepest backcourt that he's had at Ole Miss, and I tend to agree with that. Yeah, and I do too. I mean, I, I think you look at these guys, and you know, we'll talk about the other guys. Obviously, DeAndre Burnett, and it's funny because he was he was laughing about that too at media day. He was talking about you know, someone asked him about just the flexibility of being able to play in an Andy Kennedy offense as a guard, and that's what he said. You know, he said, "I feel like I'm in high school sometimes because you know, I know I can shoot. I know he's probably going to get on me sometimes when I do it, but you know, he'll let me right. go back down and shoot the next time." So it's uh, it's kind of funny, but with him, you know, it's another score. 
And then we talk about, you know, the other guys as well. Markel Crawford comes in from Memphis. Uh, Devontae Shuler is a guy as a freshman, it seems like, is someone that, that Andy Kenny's also talked about this offseason in making those strides. Uh, I guess, you know, may, maybe the question is this. Just, just how do you see – you know, AK kind of going with that rotation and having all those guys he can turn to because, you know, he's done this in recent years. He's had a lot of good guards. Uh, but like you said, I mean, when we look at how deep this backcourt is, it's kind of intriguing to kind of see how things kind of kind of play out there, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about this Ole Miss team. They return all three starting guards from last year. You know, Brian yep. Tyree, DeAndre Burnett, and Terrence Davis, they're all back. And that's huge because you know bigs are nice to have bigs are great Sebastian Saez is one of the best players ever playing Ole Miss history but to me if you want to have any carryover from year to year you've got to have guards I think guards are the most important aspect um because guards are what's going to be carrying you in um late game situations guards are going to be one carrying you you know regardless so I think that's an important part and then you add Markel Crawford so how he kind of manages that I'll be interested to see you know I'm not I have no doubt he's going to manage it well because that's just what he does but you know would it surprise me to see Markel Crawford be the first guy off the bench? No. Would it surprise me to see, and I've, I've heard him say this, play a four-guard lineup? Um, that wouldn't surprise me either, and I think that could be fun as hell if he decides to do that. Um, but I think the biggest thing about Markel, and I was there all June, so I, I saw all the Devontae, I saw Markel, Bruce Stevens, that whole group once they got there. The thing about Markel was the, was the respect he kind of commands already. He's not the typical grad transfer that transfers up from a lower level of Division One that has to go through an adjustment period playing against a higher level of competition, as anybody would. Markel's been at Memphis his whole career. He's played against high major athletes and high major players, and the guys on our roster already knew that. So by the time he stepped on the floor, Markel knew what knew what was um, required of him, knew what the level of expectation was, um, and he just kind of fit in seamlessly from what I saw and what they're trying to do. So that was a huge addition, not just on the floor, but even from a chemistry standpoint, so I think he helps them in a myriad amount of ways. Um, not, you know, least of which is defensively. He just gives them another element, another way to score, um, similar to Terrence Davis. To be honest with you, well, and you brought it up and talking about having those guards and how important that is to have that many guys coming back. And, and I mean, I think when I look around at the SEC, and we'll talk more about the SEC in a minute, but you know, that's the strength of the SEC this year is guard play and talking about all these, these experienced guards that are back, but then you have a, a, you know, a plethora of freshman guys coming in, Juco guys coming in, they're really good guards. And I think that's something where you see all these matchups between these teams like Ole Miss and there are a bunch of other teams around the SEC that have three or four guys that they feel comfortable putting out there at guard and saying, hey, we think these guys can go up against anybody. Uh, that's just such a strength to have. And when we talk about that with Ole Miss, with the guards, you know, we have to turn to what you were talking about with Sebastian Saez and someone that is now gone, and that kind of leaves a hole there in terms of what will kind of they try to do, you know, just in terms of a rotation and putting some of these other guys in. You mentioned Bruce Stevens. You know, Andy Kennedy's talked about him as well this offseason. Feels like he's someone that's going to give them quality minutes and maybe a guy, you know, that can play with those other four guards like we talked about. Uh, but then you also have the guys that are returning. And, and I will tell you right now, one of the funniest things I've listened to this offseason was Sam trying to pronounce – on the podcast you did with him over at Rock M Nation, Sam was trying to pronounce all these guys that, you know, Fermanovicius, Olenichak, yep, and it yep. was just like, he was like, man, I can't get them. But, you know, luckily I've been going through that all offseason knowing the challenges yep. in, in trying to pronounce all their names. But when you look at the front court, 
Uh, how do you kind of see that sort of shaking out? Because I think, obviously, you know, you have Dominic Olenicek there, someone who is a seven-foot guy, and certainly being able to put a seven-foot guy in the paint is always a luxury. Uh, but I know there are still things where he's going to have to improve in certain areas, and I know there are other other guys that maybe he can turn to as well, like I said, with Stevens, someone like that. But it does seem like, you know, that's probably the biggest question mark on this team. Yeah, I mean, I, look, Dom is seven foot, right around two forty. So, I mean, he's a, it's a different element than what AK's ever had. He's never had that type of guy before. Um, he's really mobile. He is obviously long. He's strong. Um, he's kind of lean for seven foot two forty, to be honest with you. Um, and he, but he's the type of kid that has athleticism and agility for a kid his size. Um, to me, this team is going to be so guard-oriented and guard-dominant with who's getting the shots that the front court just has to be serviceable. Yep. I don't think they have to be you know, all-world. To me, Dom has to be the – and here's the guy we always kind of compared it to. Dominic Olenicek's game right now is kind of like Steven Adams for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He, he's a screener. He's a roller. He scores off dump-offs and lobs and stick-backs. That's where he's going to be getting the ball. They're not going to be running offense through him the way we did Sebus. Throw the ball to him on the block. He can score on a jump hook up and under, um, anything like that. That's not Dom's game right now as a, as a redshirt sophomore that's got three years left to play. Um, you know, he's a kid that sat out for over a year after transferring from Drake. But he's a difference maker in the sense that his size is going to be something that other teams are going to have to deal with um, that they haven't had to deal with with Ole Miss before. Now, you've got a kid that tore his ACL first week of December last year, Carlos Sillins from Latvia, who played a little bit. He's another backup big that has more of a game where he could stretch the floor a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say consistently, but he has the ability to step out and hit a jump shot if he has to. Um, but he's the guy, again, who hasn't played in a year. So we're going to see how that translates coming back from an ACL. Bruce Stevens is honestly more a stretch five than he is a four uh, because of his size and what his weight is. He's going to be a guy that's going to have to guard fives and play around the rim, but he has guard skills offensively. Um, so, and then that brings me to the other two guys that return and I can already tell you they're going to get minutes because AK has seen them in game situations and in certain situations, he trusts them. Mark Canvas Hyman, who's a senior, who is an SEC level rebounder and shot blocker and Eustace Fermanovich, who's more like a six, six combo three, four, um, that plays his tail off rebounds is always just kind of around the ball, that sort of thing. So I think the the, the more interesting thing for AK is how he's going to manage the front court more than the back court. Because I, to me, I don't think it matters who he plays in the back court. Those guys are going to be able to produce because he has so many guys. Yeah, see, that's a good point, like you said. And that's something I've talked about with other teams as well. You know, guys that have lost front court, guys that have been important. Uh, you know, you just have to have guys in there that can be consistent. And maybe if you just get a couple guys that you feel like can give you quality minutes, your guards are so good that you're going to have a chance to win games just based off of that guard play. Uh, but if you can just have guys that can defend and rebound, like you mentioned, then I think that's where Ole Miss can, can really be, you know, that top half SEC team, have a chance to, to make the NCAA tournament and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of leads us into another thing here, Corey, and talking about the SEC as a whole. I mean, when I look around this league, and it's it's no secret what my thoughts are. Anybody listening to this podcast knows I've talked all offseason just about the quality of the SEC, how this is kind of that year where we pr- project a big jump in terms of what could happen from top to bottom. 
13 of the 14 teams in the league probably think they've got a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, you've been around the league. You've kind of seen it, you know, the, the past couple of years. You've seen the, the differences maybe year by year. Uh, just how you view the SEC going into this season. I, I you, you feel like it's it's kind of ready to make that big jump we've all been talking about here for a while now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been incremental. You know, I mean, I think starting with about three years ago, it's kind of slowly taken small steps forward each year. And this is the year I think it has a chance to make the biggest jump. Now, do I think it's the best league in the country? No. Do I think it's the second best league in the country? Probably not. But I can make a case it's the third best league without a doubt. Um, which is a jump up from where it's been kind of fourth and fifth. Um, you know, look at last year, five teams made the NCAA tournament. And I think three were in the NIT. So you had eight quality teams that were there playing pro in postseason play. Now this year, I think you're looking at a league that can get you to me. I think it's about a seven bid league. And if things break right um, with some other leagues potentially being down, it wouldn't surprise me if, if the SEC gets eight. Um, you know, there's been years where the ACC and Big East have gotten, you know, a ton of bids. There's no reason the SEC can't do the same thing, depending how other leagues perform. So I think it could be a seven, potentially eight bid league um, if certain teams perform well enough in non-league play. And I think the biggest thing is, is not having any anchors in the league because the last three, four years, whether it was Missouri or Mississippi State or Auburn or even LSU last year, those were RPI and metric anchors where if you just so happen to have an off night and lose to them, they bomb your resume. You, you got to get to a point, and this is where the Big 12 has kind of goosed the numbers recently with only 10 teams. By everybody kind of beating everybody and everybody kind of – it raises the floor. And that to me is where the SEC needed it more than anything else. If the floor is raised, there's no bad losses. because And it's kind of stupid because we – we we have these arbitrary markers when we look at our top 100, top 150, top 200. You know what's the <laughs> yeah. difference? Like, like why why does a why does a win at home against RPI 49 count more than a road win over RPI 51? Right. It shouldn't be. That. <laughs> no. You know what I'm saying? So that that's kind of what we get kind of lost in the data um, when the NCAA tournament selection committee does their thing and they consider what is a good loss, bad loss, good win, you know, whatever. Um, I think the league just has to get to the point where there are no bad losses on the schedule. Um, and that's going to help the league top to bottom, and it's going to raise the floor of the league. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I love data as much as anyone, but at some point you also have to understand that there are limitations with certain data and realizing that you know you can't just look at numbers and kind of know how, how things are going to f- unfold and kind of where teams are placed because it goes beyond that. Uh, but in talking about this SEC, you know, I think – it seems like to me, just looking around at all the preseason polls and such, and kind of looking at all each of these teams, it seems like there is a consensus top four in terms of putting Kentucky, Florida, Alabama, and Texas A&M in some order. Uh, most people are putting, you know, either Kentucky, Florida, or A&M at one. Uh, but I think it, it's kind of fun to look at, and I'm curious to get your thoughts in looking at those four teams. Uh, do you feel like that's kind of where it's at right now in terms of the teams that maybe have a chance to win that regular season title being just those four? Or could we see a team, you know, like a Missouri possibly if everything comes together being in that mix as well? Yeah, so I see, I mean, I'm pretty similar to what everybody else has in that regard. Like, I think that top tier is Kentucky. And I think it's a Kentucky team that could go 12 and 6, 14 and 4, 13 and 3, or whatever it is, and uh, 13 and 5, excuse me, and win the league. I don't think it's the type of Kentucky team that runs the table the way it has before. Yeah, no, um, 
I think Kentucky, I think Texas a and is talented, um, mainly because, not just because of what they bring back, but because of what they add. Uh, J.J. Caldwell, J.J. Chandler, some of those other guys. They also get the kid Dwayne Wilson from Marquette. I think that kind of puts them into that tier. I think Florida's up there because you got Kayvon Allen um, and company. You've got Igor Kulichov from Rice. Um, Kavarius Hayes, to me, was already better than John Igbunu. Now Igbunu's out until about Christmas, and then he'll come back. Uh, but that roster is still going to be quality. Um, and I think Alabama is kind of the tail end of that top tier, mainly because I just haven't seen it yet from those guys. Uh, because to me, the, what they bring back, the group of guys they bring back was fairly limited. Um, you know, Dazon Ingram and Braxton Key were the two better, were the two best players there. But, you know, Riley Norris um, and then some of those other guys, the big kid inside, uh, Dante Hall, they just kind of were what they were. Now, you add Daniel Giddens, who's more of a rebounder defensive presence anyways, um, to kind of replace Jimmy Taylor. And then you add the freshmen, and it's really going to come down to how good those freshmen are, what what Colin Sexton and John Petty, um, and how much some of those other guys are able to kind of give them minutes. I think I'm kind of on the wait-and-see train with Alabama, even if I do think they are kind of that fourth-best team at the moment. I don't necessarily think there's anybody that's going to challenge that group to win the league. Now, I think from five to about 10, you could toss in a hat and come out any which way, and I would pretty much believe it. Um, because I think there's just a group of Ole Miss, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Auburn, Missouri, that group that is extremely similar for different reasons. Um, some of them return veterans. Some of them add highly touted newcomers. Um, that are just kind of, you know, they're, they're, you're splitting hairs when you're talking yeah. those teams. And to me, you know, just behind them is a group of Mississippi State, who I think is close to that second group. But to me, again, it's kind of a show me, you know, in two years under Ben Howland, there hasn't been that yet. Um, that group could, you know, they add Nick Weatherspoon to a, to a unit that did, really didn't lose anybody um, off that roster outside of IJ Reddy. Um, and Mario Kegler, which was a loss for them, but they, they've got the bulk of their roster back. Now, that gets me to kind of the bottom tier, where I really think kind of the bottom tier of the league is South Carolina, who to me is in a complete rebuild. Um, Tennessee, who to me is going to be similar to what they were last year, but to me their talent level is quite a bit behind the rest of the league at the moment. Um, and LSU, who I think LSU is going to be better than they were last year. But that still doesn't mean they won't be 14th in the SEC because the league has improved. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I've been saying about LSU all offseason is people are like, you know, everybody's picking LSU 14th. I picked them 14th. And it's like, you know, everybody's like LSU fans. Well, we got this. We added this. We have a new coach. And I'm like, well, that's great. But you have to realize that the entire league is getting better. Uh, uh-huh. You know, it, you can only move so far when that happens. But I do think that they made a great hire and will wait. And I think he's going to get them on the right track. But a team I'm curious about is Georgia because – Mm-hmm. It seems like to me when you lose a guy like J.J. Frazier uh, that did so many different things and added such a unique playmaking type of skill, uh, it's such a huge loss. Even with Yontay Mayton coming back, even with some other guys coming in, you know, Rayshon Hammonds is there, a very good freshman. What do you look at Georgia and kind of see, you know, what's maybe their ceiling? Because I think you could see Georgia, if everything comes together, hey, I could totally see Georgia in that top half of the SEC. But if they don't find the answer at guard, if maybe, you know, someone from that group of Jordan Harris, Juwan Parker, Turtle Jackson, Tyree Mm -hmm. Crump, if they don't get enough out of those guys, 
I mean, I think you you could literally see Georgia being in that you know twelve thirteen range. No, I absolutely do, and that was the one team I forgot as I was listing it off because a lot I based on what media day had, I think they had Georgia middle of the pack, and I just don't see it because you could make a case no team relied on one individual player more than Georgia and JJ Frazier. Um, you know, he was that good. You know, I, I think we don't we we don't appreciate him enough for being five eight, five nine, and doing the things he did at the SEC level. Like he was tiny. Yeah. Um, and he was so good. And then Yante Maton is coming off a knee injury now. I mean, I know he's healthy, but still that knee injury is there. Um, as good as Yante Maton is, if he gets in foul trouble or they have an off night, I don't know how they're going to score. Um, and I've said this before to to multiple people. In, our, in my mind, Mark Fox was the toughest scout in the SEC because of the amount of actions they run, the amount of counters he had. They run good stuff. Mark Fox is a good coach. They always are tough and kind of guard. The problem has been that scoring. And that was a problem last year when they had J.J. Frazier and Yante Maiden. Now you, you take J.J. Frazier out of the equation, who was essentially Mr. Do-Everything, and it turns into Yante Maiden and a bunch of guys that have been bit players for so long. Um, I think Jordan Harris has a chance to be a good SEC player. Um, Tyree Crump didn't get a lot of minutes last year, so that's kind of a to-be-determined. I like Derek Ogbede inside better than a lot of people like him. I, I think he's got a nice touch for a guy as big as he is, a lefty that kind of bangs around. He's a screener roller, but he was also never a guy that was getting the ball thrown to him in the post a whole hell of a lot occasionally. Yeah. But, again, it's just like you said. I, I If you made me you know, have my own poll, I'm picking them 11th or 12th in the league right now. Um, I, and, and, again, it's like I said earlier when we were talking about the jobs in the SEC – the Georgia job has been so kind of neglected by administration and fans for so long, which is a shame considering where it's located in the recruiting, the fertile recruiting area that it is smack in the middle of. Um, Mark Fox does as good as he possibly can with that job. And it's similar to Ole Miss because he's only been to a couple NCAA tournaments. He's been to NITs. He, now, granted, the difference is he has had one or two bad years, but he's never really let that program bottom out. Um, the way it kind of was under Dennis Felton, the way it was in the wake of the Jim Herrick scandal. Um, but that is a program to me that should be better than it is, but I don't think it can be until an administration and fan base have any sort of buy-in. I think Mark Fox and his staff do a hell of a job. They're just kind of kneecapped to a certain degree. But I'm again, it's like you, you said to, to kind of get to this topic, I'm not high on what that roster has. They're one of the more intriguing teams just based on that because it's one of those things where as good as Yante Mayton is, and, you know, he's an SEC player of the year type candidate, but if you put them, you know, at 12 or 13, that's probably not going to happen just because you think about what all's around him and they've just got to have guys that break out. And I think with Georgia, you're relying on a bunch of guys needing to break out versus some of these other teams around the SEC where you feel pretty confident, you know, in your top five, six, seven uh, with Georgia, I don't know if you have that kind of confidence that you have elsewhere, and that mm-hmm. kind of makes them a, a hard team to project. But, uh, Corey, man, this was a lot of fun to do. I know we could talk all day about all these different teams in the SEC. Uh, it's a very exciting time to be in SEC basketball, like you said, especially at Ole Miss and thinking about that roster that they have coming back. Uh, th- there's a lot of fun stuff on the horizon, I think, and it was great to catch up with you. I know hopefully we'll get a chance to do this again here in the near future, but uh, really appreciate you joining me, man, and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, man, anytime. All right, that was the conversation with Corey Keyes. Really just great to catch up with him, uh, talk about this Ole Miss team and the SEC as a whole. Uh, be sure to follow Corey on Twitter. 
Uh, he's at Corey Keys. That's K O R Y Keys on Twitter. Be sure to follow him. Has some great SEC stuff always. Uh, so be sure to check that out. And, um, you know, we'll have more stuff coming on the podcast as we go along here towards the start of the season. As you guys have noticed, I've done these a little more frequently now as we're getting close to the start of the season. Also, be sure to stay tuned to all the written stuff that's going up at southeasttubes.com. Plenty more on the way there as well. Uh, Be sure you're subscribed to the podcast by going over to iTunes, search for Southeast Tubes. That way you don't miss any of these episodes because we're going to have a lot more interviews coming with guys like Corey. Uh, you know, media guys, coaches, all sorts of stuff from around the league. We've got a lot lined up and a lot more great stuff on the way for SEC basketball fans uh, at Southeast Team. So thank you as always for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.